Thanks. Can you tell those guys to bring my notes out? I totally forgot them in the back. They can, they can get them. Yeah. How's everybody tonight? Is everybody doing well? Good, good. It's good to see everybody. I have to speak from the stage tonight because we want to let you guys know um, we're going to start to record our services and post them on Vimeo. We know that a lot of people uh, go all over the place. Some of you are going to be transitioning into college, uh, going back into the school year. Some of you might miss a, a service or two. So we're going to start. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We're going to start um, two weeks a month posting our videos up, posting our sermons up online. Look at you guys. Look at this. This is James. This is my buddy James, and this is Hannah. Aren't they awesome? So let me tell you, I jello wrestled this guy in high school, and he almost killed me. No, like seriously. Do you remember that, dude? That was awesome. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Let's let's give these guys a hand. We appreciate our dream team. We love you guys. No, I got to tell you that real quick. I mean, you know, one of the rule of thumbs of a good communicator is you just say whatever comes to your head. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we had this, his brother is actually bigger than he is, and I thought it would be really funny to jello wrestle both of them at the same time. Wow, that was a horrible experience. Like, he was sitting on me, no, Tony, Tony was sitting on me, that's his older, that's James' older brother, and I was like, I was going like this, like, I was, my face was covered in jello, like, my whole body was, I was underneath, and he's sitting on top of me, I'm like, you're killing me, and he goes okay, and then he just gets up, you know, and walks around, and I jump on his back, and it didn't matter. You ever see, like, a little kid try to beat up an adult? That is exactly what happened in that moment. The only fight I've ever lost in my life was to those guys, and I think that's okay, don't you? It's okay. All right, sweet. So we're going to be posting our videos online, uh, two of them a month, so uh, if you just follow us on, on uh, 19 North, at 19 North on Twitter, on Mombook, I mean Facebook, or on Instagram. That was a good joke too. You know, you've heard it like a million times, but that's the way it is. But Instagram, all that stuff. And then also, you know, it's just got some other things coming up, uh, coming down the pike for you guys. But we really want to make sure that you guys are connected and, and able as you go all over. I got somebody from California over here and who's hanging out with us tonight. You can stay connected by, by downloading our podcast. We're going to be updating those uh, weekly again here really, really soon. I'm just really excited for this, uh, this season. Let's open up our Bibles tonight to uh, the book of Jeremiah. Can I go to the book of Jeremiah tonight? I apologize. I didn't have my notes on me, so I wasn't ready. But Jeremiah 51, 51. We're going to read a scripture, and God has put a specific message on my heart that I'm going to pray that he gets out of me because I got so much passion, so much excitement in my heart for this message, just so much. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes when you come, when you come to a, a service and you have so much in your heart, I had four messages in one, and I have to make sense of it. So I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit to do that tonight, okay? Jeremiah 51, 51. This is a happy one. I'm just kidding. It, it, it's, this is not a happy scripture at all, uh, but I promise the, this is going to be a good night. It says, we are disgraced for we've been insulted and shame covers our faces. I have that bolded in my notes and, and underlined in my notes. Shame covers our faces. Everybody say covers. Okay, shame covers our faces because foreigners have entered the holy places of the Lord's house. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Lord, thank you so much for a great night tonight. We, Lord, I just thank you in Jesus' name that you move in this place. God, no matter what we've got going on in our lives, no matter what we've had happen to us, God, I thank you that you have a word for us in this place tonight. Lord, I just ask you to speak through me. God, help us to see the vision that you have for this place. Help us to see the next steps that all of us have. And Lord, I pray that we can take the mask off. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Good job, guys. So, Fall is one of my, it has historically been one of my least favorite times of the year. But now, yeah, you too? Okay. But now it's, it's starting to get a little bit nicer for me. The reason I hated fall was because I hated football. Sorry, guys. <laughs> You're with me, right? Well, I, like, I can watch football and all that, but I played it. And when you play football for eight, nine years, it becomes a job, right? And actually, it was a job in college. It helped to pay for my schooling. And, uh, and, and I grew to, like, when I say loathe the fall, like, I hated the fall. I remember the smell of the air in the fall. And just, it seemed like the leaves just smelled a little bit different or the pollen in the air started. There was just something about the smell in the air that churned my stomach. I was like, oh, gosh. But one thing I loved about the fall, always growing up, was Halloween. Are there any big Halloween fans in here? You're like, yeah, totally. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. If my kids um, would allow me, I would eat all of their candy and I would trick or treat for them. I really would. Like I am like a kid at heart, right? And 
I, I just think it's so fun to go trick-or-treating. You might grow up in one of those homes that are like, we don't celebrate, just, just give me some grace here, okay? Let the Lord deal with my heart and, you know, all that. It's a devil's holiday, holiday. Just, just let the Lord deal with my heart, okay? Pray for me. I really like candy and I really like dressing up. And one of the things about having kids is you get to dress up again and eat all of their candy. You get to, like, go vicariously through them. It's unbelievable, right? It is so much fun. Is there anybody, by the way, who still goes trick-or-treating and you're completely unashamed? Is there anybody in here? Everybody's looking around. You're like, don't be that guy. That guy does. Yeah, yeah, that's my boy, Zach. Zach is going trick-or-treating. He, you have how many brothers and sisters that are younger than you? Five. Five brothers and sisters that are younger than you. What's the youngest? Eli. Eli, and what's his age? Eli's five. So Zach has a really good excuse. But you know what? You and I are on the same playing field. You still get to go trick-or-treating. Like, you're not too old to go trick-or-treating. Why? Because you got a little brother. You know, you don't have to pretend that you're a six-year-old with a growing problem anymore. You don't have to, you know, you can just be you. That's awesome. So, man, I love trick-or-treating. When I was a kid, uh, there was this one mask that I really, like, I just loved. It was a boxer mask, okay? And I just got to get this out there. I mean, you just got to talk. Sometimes you just have to share what like pops up in your head. I just have this image of me as a little kid walking around with this. Don't you think like little kids walking around with like scary masks, that's like the scariest thing in the world. Anybody? No? Okay. Like I had this, I had this scream mask when I was six years old. And I remember thinking like, I'm going to scare my sister with it, you know, because like scream was the big, you know, the big scary movie then. I'm going to scare my sister with it. And it like glowed in the dark. So I put it on top of a lamp and it like actually like melted the face and I'm like, oh man, I can't scare my sister with it now. But looking back, like that would actually be really freaky to see like a four foot, you know, kid running around with a scream mask and like a, a, a butcher knife, you know what I mean? Like scary. I don't know. Listen, my kids scare me sometimes. Can I tell you a quick story? My kids will scare me. Like Noah, whenever he first started to walk, he would wake up in the middle of the night and he would come into the room. Now, I wasn't used to this at all. I wasn't used to waking up. We were just like used to sleeping through the night. So Noah starts waking up in the middle of the night. And I, it's just, this is from my perspective. This is what I hear. I just hear like that. What was that? What was that? You know, just like, what was that? Didn't know if it was like a raccoon in my room or like, you know, what was going on? Somebody broke in the house. I'm like, I think, you know how you fall asleep and you think that you're, awake but you're like really asleep and you actually hear things whenever you're in a certain stage of sleep right you actually hear things like I heard that you know that's what and it didn't help that I was like watching like you know one of those murder mystery things right before I went to bed so of course I wake up and I'm like what what is that I'm like well my mind's playing tricks on me I'm gonna go back to sleep I'm gonna just go back to sleep now so I like I go back to sleep and did you ever when you're sleeping have you ever had the, the experience where it's like somebody is watching me right now you just feel eyes on you, and you can't explain it. It's like, I am being watched. Uh, and you open your eyes, and you just, see, you just see these two little toddler eyes, and he's breathing real heavy, like that. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, hi, Dad. I'm like, ah! <laughs> My kid scared the crap out of me, man. Seriously. No, I, I heard a story that was like really similar to that, where this little kid woke up in the middle of the night and came up to their mom and was, was doing that completely resonate. And the mom said, what are you doing? The kid said, picturing you without skin. You know, like, oh, that is so freaky. The things toddlers say, man, you know, thank God my kid didn't say that because I don't know what would have happened at that moment. Just like, psh, like, oh no, just punch my kid in the nose. That is not good. Okay, that's bad. So <laughs> Halloween's like my favorite, right? And, and, and I was this little kid. I love this little mask that I had. It was a, it was a boxer mask, and, and I could never wear it when I was really young because my mom wouldn't let me wear a robe and a mask out, you know, because I'm like no shirt and running shorts, right? So I got a little bit older, and I still wanted to wear this mask because it just looked so cool. It was a boxer had like the busted nose and had like this crack in the forehead, like you really got, you know, beat up. So I, I was like, man, I'm going to get this thing on. But the problem was when I was a little kid, I had a little bit of a big head, okay? I just... Sorry if that, I had a big head when I was a kid. Okay, there are two sides of my family. I, you know, one thing about me, I'm going to just tell you what I'm really thinking. There's the Polish side of the family and the Greek side of the family, okay? The Greeks, we all had nice, perfect, round heads, right? The Polish side of the family, it looked like somebody may have, like, you know, hit their head with a hammer a couple. There's, like, dents all over the place, okay? Just, sorry, this is my family. I'm allowed to say it because it's my family. So when I was a kid... 
the Polish side really was the one that kicked in, and I just had a little bit of a big head, okay? So I couldn't fit this mask on, and I would try to get this mask on. It was like a rubber mask. It would cover all the way down to your neck, and I would try to get the mask on, but it would always get stuck right here. Here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and grab your hair right here, okay? And then pull up. Doesn't that, you're hurting yourself, okay? Not like, doesn't that hurt? You're like, picture that times 10, and that is exactly where the mask would get caught, but it would get caught right there. It would pull my hair out. It would pull out all the way in the back right there, and I would give up. I'd be like, oh, I gotta get this mask off. Oh, gotta get the mask off because it hurt really bad, right? One year, about two or three years later, I just had enough. I'm like, no matter what, I'm getting the mask on. I am totally getting this mask on. So I asked my sister, seven years older than me, to stretch out the sides, uh, and, and I'm going to stretch out the front and back, and we're going to get this mask on, you know? So we get, it gets stuck right here, and it's pulling. I'm like, just go for it, Julie, just go for it. And she pulls it down and rips out my hair. At least it felt like it, and it went all the way down. I'm like, yes, victory! I got the mask on! I got it on. I'm so excited. And then I realized, like, there was like this, it was all rubber, and there were only like these two little pinholes to breathe in. So I'm breathing inside the mask, and I feel my breath reflecting off of the mask and going straight into my eyes. I'm like, this is horrible. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Like, this is really bad. And then I'm like, after a while, I'm like, I got to get this mask off. Oh, this is horrible. So I try, and I'm like realizing, I couldn't get it on. How am I going to get it off? What am I going to do? My sister vanished. What do you know? The big sister who helps torture you, helps torture you some more and just goes away. Sorry, I had to go to counseling for that one, okay? Going to. Keep putting it off. No, my sister would torture me. You've had a big sister or big brother who tortured you. You know what I'm talking about. Blizzard of 93, we dug this huge snow tunnel, okay? The snow was like up to here at our house. It was unbelievable. We dug a huge snow tunnel. My sister's like, you go in first. Go ahead. I'm like, okay, I'll go. I go in, and she collapses a whole snow tunnel on me. I can't see. I can't breathe. I'm about to die. And just when my legs stop wiggling, she goes, heep, like that. I'm like, I can breathe. I'm alive, you know? Covered in snow, head to toe. You know what I'm talking about. You had a brother or sister who just tortured you because they were older. She ran me over with a go-kart one time. That was awesome. I just saw this crazed look in her eye. Like, all of a sudden, she's like, she has a go-kart. She's ready to drive it. She looks up, and she's like, (laughs) and I'm like, she's not going to run me over with it. She floored it. She went boom like this, and I just, I was standing like this, and the go-kart went up on top of me, and I have a go-kart up to my chest, ready to choke me, and she's like, she like comes to it. She's like, what did I do? <laughs> you know, I pretended like I had amnesia and got her back. Like she was like, I'm in so much trouble. He doesn't remember who he is. He doesn't remember where he is. You know, so much fun having brother, sister adventures. But I had the mask on and I couldn't get it off. And this is exactly what happens to us in church. And this is exactly my burden when it comes to this time, this ministry, this message, what we have going on right here. This mask right here is another mask that one of my spiritual mentors gave me, one of my spiritual fathers. His name's Larry Betancourt. He runs a church in Chippewa, Champion Life Church. And you know Pastor Larry. If you know anything about Pastor Larry, Pastor Larry loves Nacho Libre, okay? Any Nacho Libre fans in here? You're like, Chancho, I need to borrow some sweats, you know? Pastor Larry loves Nacho Libre. And before he left... Uh, he used to be on staff at this church. He gave me this, right? And I thought it was so ironic that the man who gave me this mask was the man who helped me to take my mask off when it came to church. He was an unbelievable mentor and a father to me. And I'll tell you that when Pastor Larry started to speak into my life, I felt like I could conquer the world. I felt like I could do anything. I felt like no matter what circumstance was going to come my way, no matter what I was going through at the time, or no matter what the situation said, I could come out of this on top because Pastor Larry had my back, and he spoke words into my life. As a matter of fact, a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, I was able to speak at his church, and he said things again to me that I was just like, I can't believe, nobody has ever said something so nice to me. And at that time, man, there were some things that I was working through. I'm like, man, am I really, you know, what... But God, God used him to encourage me and to speak something into my life, and it changed my life just a couple of weeks ago. I'm thinking, man, every time I leave his presence, I feel like I can conquer the world. Now, my, Lauren is that to me. Now, listen, you want to marry somebody someday who, like, compliments you, right? I'm going to give you some insight to, like, some of our conversations here. Like, Lauren, I'm 31, and I haven't, like, exercised in seven years. Do you think, like, I might be gaining, you know, a little bit of, belly fat. She's like, oh no, sweetie, you look awesome. You look great. I go to the pool and I'm like looking at everybody. I'm like, 
this guy's like 20, and he doesn't have any body fat because, you know, he still has metabolism. And like, hmm, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really starting to, you know, I got to work out. I got to do this stuff. She's like, Zach, you're aw- you, you look awesome. You are so handsome. She just starts talking to me. And she looks at me, and she goes, Zach, you're hot. I'm like, yes, my wife still thinks I'm hot. Awesome. This is great. So anytime I'm with Lauren, like, seriously, we'll be at home, and she'll just compliment me. And I'm like, you know what? I am good looking. This is awesome. You know, I just feel, you know, not narcissistic, trust me, okay? I'm like, I actually struggle on the other, on the opposite side. Like, not much, not thinking that I am much. But like, when every time I'm with Pastor Larry or Lauren, I just feel like I can conquer the world. My question for us tonight is, what if that was the environment that we created here? What would happen if we had a church that encouraged everyone who came through the doors? What would happen? Just throwing some things out there. What would happen if every one of us decided, I don't need to be on a greeter team, but I'm going to be on the greeter team. I'm going to jump on board with the team, and I'm going to make sure that this is the most welcoming place in Cranberry Township for young adults. What would happen if every one of us got that spirit of encouragement? What would happen? And Do you have any Pastor Larrys or Lauren in your life? Do you have people who come alongside of you and encourage you no matter what? I think every one of us, every one of us needs that. You know, I thought it was really awesome that uh, Ryan actually read from Psalm 51. And uh, I wasn't going to read this, but I actually had it in my notes. And I felt like when he, when he, when he quoted that scripture from the message, I was like, I got to go there. We got to get this. Because I think this is, do you guys remember what David did? Do you remember that David, he jumped off of the plan of God for his life. He got a little bit complacent. You remember what David did? He, he, he sent he sent Uriah the Hittite to the front lines to be murdered, and he had an, a, an affair with, with, his, with his wife and tried to cover it up by, by having him come back and sleep with his wife. And he had, he, he had an adultery, and he murdered a man, right? And he thought that he was sent to the front lines. He thought he was getting away with it scotch-free, right? But he had an encourager in his life. He had an encourager in his life. Let's look at this real quick in, uh, in, in 2 Samuel 12. 13 and 14. It says, Nathan came to him. Nathan just calls him out. And David looks at Nathan and he says, I- I've sinned against the Lord. The Lord, and Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. In this time, Nathan had to come alongside of him, speak a word into his life that was a tough word to hear. A tough word to hear. Not every mentor in your life is going to speak happy, exciting things all the time. Sometimes you you and I, we need somebody who's going to come alongside of us and have a tough conversation and tell us. I've got a Nathan in my life right now who looked at me just a little bit ago. And I'll tell you, he looked at me. His name's Matt Brown, one of my best friends. Matt led me to the Lord in college. And uh, he's also, I, I report to him directly here. But I look at Matt as one of my very best friends. You know, Matt looked at me in the eyes. He served with us on, on the 19 North team in 2011 when at 19 North, we were, man, we were tearing it up. We had an event of 350 people and we would see 35 people born again. And we would see, you know, we had small groups and we were reaching campuses. We were going to Slippery Rock and Grove City and Geneva College. We had campus ministries that were launching up. As a matter of fact, somebody in this room, Ricky Flat, actually came out of a, a campus ministry that we did on BC3's campus when one of our, our team members led that, followed her heart. And, and there were people who gave their hearts to the Lord. I mean, there were probably 150 people at that that campus ministry alone. And Ricky, one of our, our, one of our small groups captains, came out of that. And we were all over the place in 2011. And Matt was one of our key leaders. And he saw what I'd gone through over the last four years, where I felt, I felt a little bit overwhelmed in overseeing two ministries and not having, a, not having a staff to help out with. And I felt a little bit overwhelmed with having a ministry at 19 North that was so amazing and watching it slowly slip away and it felt like there was nothing that I could do about it because I wasn't proficient enough as a leader. I, I, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't wise enough. And I didn't feel like I had the energy to give this ministry everything that I needed to have. And he looked me in the eyes. You know what he said to me? He said, Zach, I think the you of 2011 would slap you in the face right now. You're right. Dude, you're right. And you know what I did? I repented. I said, God, I've become a sissy <laughs> in leadership. I've backed off. 
I sat under, I just, I just became like Jonah. I just sat under my tree and just started to whine and complain. Listen, whiners and complainers don't change the world. You know that, right? You have a vision and a dream in your life. Quit complaining about what people haven't given you or, or people aren't doing for you. Or quit complaining about your circumstance and get in the middle and get an encourager in your life. Get somebody who can come into your life and help you to turn that situation around. Matt looked at me and he said, the you of 2011 would slap you in the face right now. And he said it with a smile. But I was like, dude, you're absolutely right. From that moment forward, from that moment forward, things began to change in my life. I began to see my circumstances differently. So you know what? I'm not a powerless person. I can do something about this. I can do something about this. And I've repented to God. I repented to my pastors. I repented to, to, to my wife. I repented to you guys. I apologize to you guys. I'm going to do it right now if you haven't heard it. So you know what? We're ready, you know? We're ready to see something happen here that God wants to happen here, right? We're ready. And so, 19 North tonight, I think that some of us are, are one Nathan away from getting our hearts back on track to the vision and the dream that God has for you and for me. We're one Nathan away. We're one Nathan away. What if, I hear a lot about accountability within 20-somethings, and I hear, you know, when it comes to, I just want somebody to keep me accountable, and I just want, you know, I want a mentor in my life, and and, and I'm gonna define mentorship for you. You know what my mentors do for me? Pretty much, help me solve problems. They don't reach out to me and say, hey, let's meet every, every week and I'm gonna mentor you and I'm gonna teach you and I'm gonna put my arm around you. No, I call them when I need something. I reach out to them and they speak words of wisdom into my life because I know they've been there before. But 20-somethings, a lot of times we have this, we have this mentality that a mentor needs to, needs to come around me, and I just got to wait for a mentor. No, you have to actually make mentors. You have to reach out to people, develop a relationship with people in order that the mask might come off. What happened with, what happened with David is that Nathan looked at him and he said, I'm going to take off the mask. I'm going to be who I am. He had shame in his life. And here's what shame does. I'm going to give you just a couple of, of quick points here. The first thing that shame does is shame immobilizes us. Shame immobilizes us. When we do something, now the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is bad deed, shame is bad person. When I have shame in my life, a root of shame in my life, I literally do not feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like I'm worthy. I don't feel that God can use me. Why? Because I look at everybody else and I think they're all good, but I'm less than, I'm, I'm, I'm subpar, okay? So shame immobilizes us. We, uh, sometimes we have indecision because of fear or insecurity. We become captive to our past. We become captive to the things that happened to us or the things that we did. And one person put it this way. One of my good friends said this to me one time. She said, if you have a one foot in the past and one foot in the future, you're peeing all over your present. Love that, right? Love that. But that is exactly what we do when we have shame in our life. We look to the future and we say, well, someday this is going to change. And someday I will have, you know, I'm gonna, when I get married, when I graduate high school, when I graduate college, it's going to change. When I get married, when I have one kid, when I have two kids, when I have a house of my own, when I have a second house, when I have a car, when I have all my debts paid, that's when I'm going to be happy. It causes us to look to the future. It also causes us to look to the past. Let me, let me, all of us have had things in our life that we look back at the past and we, we allow in certain ways our past to define us. For me, I was an abused, broken, abandoned little boy who really didn't have any kind of life wisdom, anybody who gave words of affirmation. There was nothing in my life. And so because of that, there's another thing that shame does is shame causes us to lessen our standards I lessen my standards. You've, you may have been there. You have shame in your life, so you say, I messed up over here, so I got a lesson. I, who cares? I messed up sexually, so I'm going to keep on messing up sexually. I mean, one, I mean, one time messing up, I mean, might as well just go for it. One time slipping back into drinking, and one time slipping back into, into addiction. One time slipping back, I messed up, so might as well just keep on going. And so shame causes us to lessen our standards, we don't look at ourselves the same when we're wearing a mask of shame. 
We don't look at ourselves the same. So what we do is we surround ourselves with other people who are masking their shame as well. And we lessen our standards in relationships. So we start to hang out with people who are going to drag us further down. Because why? We don't really think highly of ourselves. I'm telling you, 19 North, the mask needs to come off. The mask of shame and the, ma- the mask needs to go. What would happen if we created a ministry here at 19 North where everybody came in just as they were? You don't feel like you have to play church. You don't feel like you have to mask. You don't feel like... Here's, here's one, of the, one of the things I want to see here. I heard a, a, a great pastor put this out there. Two things about accountability. He said, what if accountability meant that you're keeping people accountable for their abilities rather than accountable for their disabilities? What would happen if we kept each other accountable for our abilities rather than our disabilities? Another thing that he said about accountability, he said, what if accountability wasn't making sure that you're not smoking, but making sure that you're staying on fire? Because I want to create that so badly here. I want to see this ministry taking the mask off, taking it off. The mask must go. The third thing that shame does is it causes us to wear a mask everywhere that we go. And, and, and you could see this in relationships. You could see this with friends. You could see this with words that we've used. We, we mask. You know, you ever see somebody just mask? You could tell they're not really telling the truth or they're not letting somebody see the whole picture. They've got a mask on. It's shame. Matter of fact, like I work with teenagers a lot. One of the things about working with teenagers, we deal with a lot of bullying. Do you ever notice that bullies, they're wearing a mask? I'm tougher than you. Why? Because they don't really feel tough. So they gotta, they gotta feel, they gotta make themselves feel tough. Or they're, they wanna make, they wanna hurt, hurting people hurt people. So they've got pain in their life and they wanna mask it and cover it up by hurting other people and saying, I don't have any pain in my life, I'm perfect. Girls do a, a little bit different than guys. Girls start to ostracize whenever they're bullied, right? It's like you're sitting around the, the, the table at, at lunch, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you're sit, you come to the same table that you've been to every, every day. And remember this in high school, and then nobody's around you. It's like, where'd everybody go? And you had one girl pull everybody away and say, let's leave her out today. Let's leave her out today. That could have been you. It actually could have caused you to start wearing a mask where you don't really tell people what you like. Let me tell you, God actually cares about what you like. God created you that way, right? Now, not in everything. I mean, uh, I can't make that sweeping generalization there that every like that you have, God, you know, because people can twist that. But your desires, I was meeting with a kid. I'll give you a good example just to clarify because I feel I need to. kid looked at me the, uh, the other day. I was in a counseling appointment. This young boy and... He, uh, his dad left, and his dad um, really, really is living a, a, a tough, tough life. Uh, and this left this kid alone, and, and he said, my dad wants me to play sports, but I'm not into that. I said, what are you into? He said, I'm into collecting things. I just really like that. Like, Did you know that God, God knew that about you? He's like, well, my dad, he didn't want to have a relationship with me unless I play baseball. Like, Man, God loves you so much. God loves you so much. So he wants to play down a mask to become a baseball player just so he can chase after his dad's love. When deep down inside of him, he wants to collect CDs and sunglasses and skateboards, you know? This is an awesome kid. And he needs to have those needs validated in his life. But God brings people in his circumstance. God's brought me in his life to be a Nathan to him, more so a Barnabas. Have you ever heard the story of Barnabas? Barnabas, I think, is one of the most underrated people in the entire Bible. He is, his story is so amazing. Uh, do you guys remember the story of, of, of Paul and his conversion when he gave his life to Jesus? Paul was essentially the ISIS of the first century. He would drag Christians out of their home and, and he, would, he would throw stones at them. He would rally, you know, groups of people to throw stones at them and they would, you know, he would kill them. Uh, some historians actually believe that he killed 10,000 plus people, which is crazy. We don't really think about that when we think about Saul. We just think about the one or two that are mentioned in the Bible. But historians believe that he was like the ISIS of the first century. You guys are familiar with ISIS, right? And, and, and persecution of Christians all around the world. Christians are getting murdered by the, by, by the thousands and, and they're getting beheaded. We're in a time where that's happening. 
Uh, it's crazy, it's crazy, but Paul was this, and Paul, you remember the story well, and I don't have a lot of time, so we're just going to skip through it, but Saul gives his life to the Lord, and, and, and when, he's, when, when he's, God leads him to go to a place, and there's a man named Ananias that, that God led to go and pray for Saul that he might restore his sight, because when he saw Jesus, he became blind, and uh, Ananias goes and prays for him that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and, and speaks to him a word that God put on his heart, and, and Paul the first thing that he does is he begins to preach and he's like, I, I'm so passionate about what God did for me. I have to tell people. I have to tell people. Now, just going back, Ananias was a normal person. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't, you know, he was just a normal church goer. Seriously. I mean, he was just a normal guy, just like, just like you, just like, well, you probably don't think that about me, but I think that about me. He was a normal guy and he goes and prays for, for Paul. God used a man to do it. So, Paul starts preaching in the synagogues, and people are scared, right? Actually, let's pick it up real quick in, in the book of Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. This is what happens when Saul, Paul starts to preach. He said, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Why were they afraid of him? Because he's killed probably 10,000 of their brothers, 10,000 of their sisters. 10,000 probably. So, and when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but those are the followers of Jesus but they were all afraid of him, for they didn't know what, they, they didn't believe that he was a disciple. And look at this, but Barnabas, but Barnabas, there was one man that looked at him, and he saw something different, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, but Barnabas. I love this, guys. I love this. And I could just stop here and just camp all night, but I won't for time's sake. But Barnabas. The next five chapters, what we see is Barnabas and Saul, they serve together. Barnabas has his back. Barnabas, actually his name was Joseph originally, but the apostles changed it to the son of encouragement, which is Barnabas. He was apparently such an encouraging person that they had to name him encourager, you know? It's kind of like Pastor Larry to me. It's kind of like Lauren to me. It's kind of like Zach Del Turco. I don't know if you ever met him, but you need to. The time you're with Zach, is like, I think I can conquer the world. You know, I look at you guys. There, there are encouragers, natural, gifted encouragers who are in this room right now. But Barnabas encouraged Paul. In the next five chapters, they're serving together. They're starting churches. They're going on missionary journeys. They're seeing, seeing thousands of people come to the Lord together. They're traveling the world and seeing God's glory and God, God's physical presence manifest. They're seeing healings. They're seeing miracles, seeing signs and seeing wonders. And God's using them together mightily. It's unbelievable. But there was a point where, where Paul had grown and he'd become the leader of the church. And, and, and Barnabas, as they were going on a missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to bring a young guy named Mark. And Mark was young. People looked at him like he was just young and immature. Have you ever felt that way that people look about you? It's, it's really true. 20-somethings, I'm sorry, young, young adults, 18, 19, 20. By the way, we're going 18 to 29 in this ministry. Just to clear the air, this is a young adults ministry. If you're like 24, 25, you're still welcome here, okay? 30, we'll talk. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But I got to clap for that. That's good. But you know, that's what people think about 20-somethings, young adults. That's what people think about young adults. You're lazy, you're young, you don't really know much right now. That's what Paul thought about Mark, but Barnabas, but Barnabas looked at him a little bit differently. It's really amazing. They had a sharp dispute. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp dispute, the Bible says. They separated ways. And what's really sweet is at the, end of Tim, at the end of Paul's life, he's out of prison. He's ready to, he's ready to die, essentially. And he writes to Timothy to send Mark because he's useful for the work of the ministry. He's useful. We don't know what happens in between, but the only thing that we know is that Barnabas spent time with Mark and mentored him and encouraged him because that's who he was. What's, what's amazing is a lot of times we look at Paul as a spiritual giant. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And we even know Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. 14 books of the New Testament would not be written if Barnabas didn't take his place. If Barnabas didn't do the gift that was on his life. And Barnabas doesn't get any glory for these, does he? 
Who talks about Barnabas, right? Whenever we're talking about the gospel of Mark, whenever we're talking, nobody mentions Barnabas. But could that really have happened if Barnabas wasn't a son of encouragement, didn't believe in them when nobody else believed in them? Here's what I believe. I believe in this room, many of us are one Barnabas away from changing the world. Many of us are one Barnabas away from our breakthrough. We're one Nathan away from our breakthrough. Man, we need to focus on some things here as a ministry. This is family time right now. Family time. This is where the the rubber meets the road. Where a message goes from inspiration to what we're going to do. Here is a ministry. As a team, you know, we, we've kind of hit the reset button in a couple of areas. I love our team, and our team has served so faithfully, and they've done so many great things in the midst of me checking out, in the midst of me saying, I can't do this, I can't lead, because I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. Put on a mask. I'm taking the mask off. I'm saying these are the things that we are going to do. As a team, we met and we talked about the glory days of, of 19 North. And we decided in our hearts that we we're going to chase after what God wants for this ministry. And we're going pu- to pursue it with our whole heart. And we identified a couple of key areas that we're going to focus on as a ministry. The first thing is that we're going to focus on small groups. We're going to focus on small groups. Um, here's what we want you to do. We want you to find out what you're passionate about and do it with others. That is so simple. That is so simple. We need to get plugged into a small group. We need people leading a small group. I need you to. Why? Because we're ready. Actually, let's go, let's go to the, uh, I'm not going to go to the book of Acts, but I have a slide ready at the very end. It talks about symptoms of revival. I got to go here before I, I get into this. And this will be really short, I promise you. We're, we're about ready to wind up. About ready to wind up. That's a good one. <laughs> Symptoms of revival. God dealt with my heart specifically about this. Last week we were in worship and God led me in my heart to just look up the definition of what revival meant. And to many of us, revival, it means, sir, like church, you grew up in a Pentecostal church. What do you do? You, you, you look at revival and you're like, okay, that's five days of church services, right? Five, it's, that's revival, you know, five days of church services. Then you look at like, say, you know, you, you, you might look at one camp of people who says, you know, a revival is when X takes place and, you know, the glory of God falls and every person falls on the floor and, you know, healings happen and manna from heaven pops out and we all start eating the bread and catching the quail again. You know, that is what a revival is. You know, that's a revival. And it becomes this big mystical experience that we, that as a church we begin to chase. And especially a spirit-filled church like us where we're like, man, we want to see the glory of God. We want to see God do signs and wonders. We want to see people set free from addiction and set free from the, 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 the bondage of their past. We, especially in our church and the way that we look at it it's a mystical experience but if you look up a simple dif- dictionary definition of revival what it is is simply to make alive again simply to make alive again that's it oh gosh listen to my heart 19 North that when we do our kickoff on September 12th there are going to be people that you invite to this place that are going to hear the gospel for the first time and on the inside they are going to be made alive again And when that happens, revival has taken place. Here's what God dealt with my heart. He asked me a question. He said, Zach, this is so bizarre. I don't talk like this often, but he said, Zach, where do you think revival begins? And I started looking at these things. I'm like, well, the the Holy Spirit has to show up. The church has to grow in, in, in capacity. That's what a revival is. People start to gather together. Prayer becomes an emphasis. And, and there's, there's wild generosity. There's all of these things. Here's what happens when revival takes place. But God dealt with my heart. Zach, revival doesn't start when these things start. Those are outcomes of revival. Revival starts, you know where it starts, Zach? Revival starts in you. Revival starts in you. 
And I'm telling you, 19 North, revival is going to start in you before it starts to the masses. We can pray all we want. We can chase all we want. We can believe God to move all we want. But until revival starts inside of us, it will not happen in these doors. It will not take place in these doors. And we have got to allow a revival to take place in us before it goes out. 19 North, are you ready? I want revival to start in me. And I'm telling you, revival has started in me. When one person looked at me and said, Zach, in 2011, the 2011 you would have smacked you in the face if it would meet you right now. At that moment, revival began to take place in my heart. You will hear talks of revival. But you and I have a responsibility. We have a responsibility before God. And from that, these things take place. And they're going to take place. We're going to do it. The Holy Spirit, we see in the book of Acts, and you can read this for your own reference, but in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit shows up. There are signs and wonders and all of those amazing things. But you know, I've been in atmospheres when that happens. And it doesn't happen when people sit back and say, wow me, pastor. Wow me. Wow me. Better be a good message tonight. I've never seen a miracle take place in that atmosphere. I have seen miracles take place in an atmosphere that comes to this place, not coming to worship, but bringing worship, saying, God, you can do anything. And I'm coming with the spirit of faith and I'm gonna believe you that you will move in my life and in my heart tonight. That is an atmosphere where God moves in an atmosphere of expectation. So here's what I want you to do. Our services, the Holy Spirit's gonna show up. My messages, they're gonna be shorter. We're gonna, length, we're gonna lengthen worship a little bit longer. We're gonna lengthen worship a little longer. I'm gonna shorten my messages. But the Holy Spirit is gonna be present. If the Holy Spirit isn't here, this is pointless because there's no such thing as life change if the Holy Spirit isn't here. So we're gonna acknowledge the Holy Spirit. We're gonna chase after a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Those things are gonna be great. Every Saturday is gonna be a place, a time that you can invite a friend and you won't be embarrassed. Because they'll walk in the doors and they will feel the presence of God and they will know that God is in this place and they will see you and me chasing after God and they'll look around and like, man, these people are singing like God is real. He's real, (laughs) you know? The Holy Spirit shows up in revival. The church grows in revival. I love who is in this room, but there are people, every, every seat in this place represents a life that could be changed tonight. I'm gonna ask you, as I tweak things, listen, I'm going to every Thursday rehearsal and our team is working so hard. I'm going there to make sure that it's done in a spirit of excellence that you will never have an embarrassing moment, an awkward moment. We're training our team, we're working. I am working like crazy right now, like crazy. Do you know why? Because I wanna create an atmosphere where you feel good inviting people and that's gonna happen. That's gonna take place. This place is gonna grow. I wanna see this place double in size. Why? Not because I wanna just build like this temple of like, look what we did. No, we like legitimately care about people here and we wanna see their lives change, okay? Like, ah, pastor's talking about growing his church. Somebody's gonna get a boat, you know? Like, whatever, what what does that even mean? Like, do you care about people or not care about people? Like, seriously. Talk about small groups in a little, but like maybe like, okay, just throwing it out there. This is not a small group. This is not gonna be a small group. This is gonna be a big group. It's going to be a big group of 20-somethings, a big group. We're going to look back at those days where 19 North used to be, and we're going to say, whoa, God God has surpassed that. God has surpassed that. You know what I want? You know what I want? This is speaking from my heart. I want people to look at me and, and say, well, that couldn't have happened without God. I want people to look at Zach as he serves this team and he leads events and he, and, he, and he makes this atmosphere a place that's conducive for 20-something. I want people to look at him and say, It had to be God because a a dream that we can do on our own strength and our own capacity is not a big enough dream. We need to be fully dependent on God. The church grows because we're going to be doing events every four, every six weeks, stuff that you can bring friends to, those types of things. It's going to be awesome. People gather together and here is what I need you to do because God needs you to do it. I don't need you. God needs you to do this. But as you see in the early church, they start to get together. They start to eat meals together. They get together and they pray together and they talk together. Where are we missing it? Where are we missing it? We're missing it if we think, I'm going to church. Did you know the first century church? They didn't even have this idea, I'm going to church. They said, we are the church. 
I am the church. So if you said, I'm going to church, they're like, what does that mean? I'm going to church. What does that mean? That's the mentality we're going to take on here. I am the church. I'm coming to 19 North. This might be my church service that I go to, but we're gathering together. We're gathering together. And here's what you could do. You can lead a small group. You can look at it. At, at, man, you could lead a small group and you can say, listen, I'm going to go. I'm leading one for fishing. I'm going I'm to take some guys who don't know how to fish. I'm going I'm to teach them how to fish. Four weeks. That's what I'm going to do for a small group. Do what you're passionate about doing and bring people in on the mix. We're, we're going to see life groups. I mean, if you don't know what life group is, it's a small group, but it's a very deep curriculum that God produces amazing life change out of. It's one of the best things that we do as a church. We're going to have those on every campus. Robert Morris, Geneva, Slippery Rock, Grove City. We're going to see that all over the place. Why? Because God is interested in life change. We're going to see those things happen. I need you guys to step up to the plate to help us make this vision happen. I need it. Listen, I'm going to take that. God needs it. God needs it. You say, God doesn't need me. Yes, he does. You're, you're a member of his body. If, if God said, he doesn't need you, it's like me saying, I don't really need my arm. I don't really need my neck. I mean, who needs to turn their head anyways? I can just do this. That is so dumb. God needs you. He created you for this time and for this reason. Come on. God needs you. Prayer became an emphasis. Here's what I have in my heart. In the beginning of January, we're going to start the year off with prayer. We're going to hit the reset button and we're going to do 21 days of fasting and prayer. And I'm going to teach you on prayer. Uh, one of our leaders talked about the circle maker. I'm, going to, I'm praying about using that as a curriculum that we can all read that together and we can pray and we can believe God. And then also in our, in our, in our teams, I want our teams functioning as a small group. Every team leader here, every team member here, I'm, I'm calling you guys, I'm calling on you guys to lead your team as a small group. I want you to, to pray for each member of your team daily by name. And I want you to reach out to them weekly, to contact them weekly. Every team member here, it's time that 19 North becomes a family, not an organization. We become a ministry that impacts people, but we also, man, we're having fun together and we're loving life together. Listen, if you, you want to get prayed for daily by name, maybe you want to jump on the dream team. Just, just throwing that out there. Prayer became an emphasis. It's going to become an emphasis here. I'm kind of waiting on God to see how, how's he, how he's going to play that out. How, what's, what's our way of doing that? Listen, there's wild generosity. Some things that we're going to be doing. God's really put it on our heart as a leadership team to begin to do things that are not focused on these four walls. We try to get you to serve. And, and I'm just going to be candid with you guys. But we want to get you to serve at, at, at an event that we do for the community called Extravaganza where we have families come in and we serve kids and we love it. If you're not geared toward like serving kids though, you might look at that and you might say, well, these guys have everything that they need. You know, there's no really felt needs here. And so we don't really connect with it. And I get that. We talked about that as a team. What do we, serve, what, what do we connect to in our 20s? We connect to felt needs. And so what I want to do is at the end of our small groups, I want to have a rally day where everybody comes together and they think about different areas that they can serve the community. There's a guy who, who's, who lives down the street. And he doesn't have any family. He doesn't have any friends. And he's, a, he's about 70 years old, but he's, he's frail. And all the houses around, because it's an affluent area, all the houses around have great landscaping, have all this amazing stuff. And, and this guy, it's like a jungle. When we see that, it should break our heart. Let's do something about it. Let's do something about it. You know, I have a good friend named Andrew. Andrew's one of my very best friends. He felt on his heart just to grab a group of kids together and be a father, be a Barnabas in their life. He looked at them, and, and, and Andrew's busy. He works in Erie, and he lives in Beaver Falls right now. That's crazy, right? And he's up in Erie four days a week, but God impressed on his heart. Andrew, I want you to spend time with these guys. He began to get together with them and spend time with them, and these guys have had some stuff going on in their life. And, man, I've been praying for them, and I believe in them. But I met with one, and one looked at me in the eyes, and, and I, I just said, hey, who, who's the Barnabas, so to speak, in your life? Who's encouraging you? And he said, I, Andrew Raisley. He was a teenager. Andrew Raisley. I know God's brought him in my life to show me what a man, who a man is, what a man does, how a man worships God. I was like, oh, it's so good. Will you be a Barnabas to somebody? Will you be a Barnabas to somebody? Will you step up to the plate and make this happen? I'm going to make this real simple, 19 North. I want every person in here leading a small group. I want every person inviting friends. I want every person jumping on board with the dream team. You might look and feel inadequate. Let me tell you something. I feel inadequate every time I stand in front of you. 
I feel inadequate every time I wake up in the morning with my kids saying, Daddy, what's for breakfast? Because mom has to take care of Judah and I got two more that I got to take care of in the morning. I'm like, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> I got to look at my schedule. Like, I'm like, I feel inadequate to do what I do. But inadequacy can't stop us. Why? Because we're going to take, sh- take off the shame. We're going to take off the mask. We're gonna, the mask has to go. So I'm inadequate. God, I'm going to trust you. Tonight, at the end of the night, you know, Zach has something that he wants to go over with everybody. Zach's responsibility is here to take this vision and make it happen. I believe in Zach. I love Zach. I made him apply, believe it or not. Zach, you need to apply for this. Maybe I didn't, but I really, uh, I really believe in Zach. No, I, I did make him apply. I'll just, you know. But he's put something together about how you can get involved in the four areas or, or, or the four focuses that we have. We've got small groups. We're going to do that. We're talking about serving. We did that outreach and events. We're going to, you know, we, we don't want to be listeners only, but doer of the word of God. And, and life is meant to be lived out. We're going to have a good time together. And then leadership. It's not about titles, not about positions, not about flow charts. It's about one life influencing another. You can be a Barnabas to somebody. Sounds and feels like we've got some people in this room who are on board, who are all in. You're ready to take the next step. So here's what I want you to do. This is a starting point card. If you want to get involved with us, if you think like, man, I, I, I want to either join the dream team or lead a small group, we've hit the reset button on our teams. Everything's changing here. Going to be ready for September 12th when we, when we launch this thing in the fall and we start to bring in college students from Slippery Rock and Grove City in Geneva. If you want to be a part of the dream team, here's what I need you to do. Go in the seat pocket, okay? Grab this, fill it out. Say, I want to lead a small group or I want to join the dream team. We're going to keep it really simple. After tonight, Zach is going to lead a quick meeting with you guys. We're just going to meet like right over here. Please excuse the awkward silence out there as we don't have music playing very loud tonight. But Zach's going to, he's going to get you plugged in. He can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to, I can't wait to see you jump on the dream team. I can't wait. You just fill that out. Guys, revival starts in us and it flows through us. Let's pray.